Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. Dub is the actionable video platform, and today we are talking to Ryan Conlon. Ryan comes to us from Ireland. He's a new Google employee, TEDx speaker. Uh, you had a talk that's going to be broadcasting live soon on this idea of taking our disabilities, in this case dyslexia, and then turning that into a superpower. I'd love to talk about how we can take our disabilities or things that are maybe according to society working against us and then turn those into superpowers and then ultimately to make massive impact. So let's get into this. Please just give us a short bio on yourself and then let's get into the topic. Yeah, Ruben, thanks for having me on the podcast. Coming all the way here from uh, Dublin, Ireland. So as you already mentioned, uh, my name is Ryan and I currently just started a, a new role in Google in Dublin, Ireland. And most recently, I have completed the TED Talk on dyslexia, which is something very close to my heart. Um, and I'm excited for it to come out and see what it looks like. Um, and I grew up and born in Dublin, so I haven't left. And uh, yeah, that's that's the date. I just finished up a postgraduate program, a master's program. So that's uh, that's a quick bio to date. Nice, man. And then what what prompted this? How did you how did you land the gig for the TEDx talk? Uh, how did you discover the topic? Was did you did you pitch the topic? Did someone recruit you? Um, did they pitch you on that topic? So these are th some of the questions that I have. Yeah, absolutely. So it originally started back when I was doing my postgraduate program. Um, which I, to be honest, I never thought I'd do a master's or a postgraduate because I always struggled in school. Um, but in my master's program, I the the business school that I was in ran a TEDx event. So they ran a um, TEDx TCD or Trinity College. And I saw a poster on the wall for it. And I saw, a, um, I think one of my friends mentioned to me and said, oh, you should think about applying. So I applied with a topic that I wasn't really passionate about or interested in. I just applied kind of on the whim and um, got rejected. Then a few weeks later, um, I had a presentation in class and my professor was there. And after I finished my, my presentation, my professor came up to me out of nowhere, just a coincidence. You should really think about giving that TEDx talk a go in, uh, in, in the business school. And I said, yeah, I, I actually got rejected. And so what was the topic? I think the original topic was something to do with, it was something, it was similar. I can't remember the exact name, but it was basically how I, because I used to be in the health and fitness industry, and it was basically how I use sort of health and fitness in order to um, explore and improve different areas of my life. And it was sort of, and I wrote a blog post on it, I think, but I can't remember the actual title, but it's something that I wasn't as passionate about. And it didn't resonate with the theme of the actual um, event as well. So every TEDx event normally has a theme like sustainability, innovation, um, so it didn't resonate with the theme. But anyway, I got, I got rejected and um, I didn't think anything of it. So, um, but the professor said, you should give it a go again. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. And then about a few weeks later, or maybe six, eight weeks later, we were on a break from college um, and I had some spare time. And I thought to myself, if I was to do a talk, what would I talk about? And I brainstormed and something really came to my back of my mind that growing up with dyslexia and how I think it's really misunderstood. And I started diving into some research and delving into some research and it really blew my mind about how much it's misunderstood. and and how most people's experience growing up with it 
it's a lot of challenge and there's a lot of resistance, but actually it has a tremendous amount of benefits and a tremendous amount of upside. And I was like, this is amazing. I really want to talk about this. I'm extremely passionate about it. So what I did from there is I got a, there was a piece of A4 paper. I wrote down a proposed title of my talk and about a paragraph of what my talk's going to be. I was really excited. And then about another paragraph of a bit about me. Um, and I went onto the TEDx website and I saw if there's any events in Ireland and there was no events in Ireland available, but there was events in London, which is only um, an hour plane ride, uh, very close, um, even though it's in the other country um, it, over in the UK. And um, I decided to apply for an event, applied, got to the first round, uh, then got rejected. Um, and then got rejected again. And they, but what they said was, they said, Ryan, or the organizer said, Ryan, you know what? We, we loved your topic. We really wanted you to be, um, we really want you to succeed or we really want you to keep trying. We think it's a great topic and a great idea, but you didn't get the slot in this TEDx event. And I was like, oh, okay, it is what it is. I probably just won't apply again. It's meant to be. And then six to eight weeks later, I know I say six to eight weeks again, but eight weeks again, but it was probably that time range that uh, I got another email and I got an email from the same organizer referring me to another TEDx event saying, hey, Ryan, I just talked to another uh, organizer. They're really interested in getting another speaker. We think your talk would perfectly suit the event. Would you be interested in sending your pitch or sending your information on your talk to, this, to, to the organizer? I said, absolutely no problem. Sent my um, little talk and then they came back to me and said, we'd absolutely love to have you speak. And turns out their head of speakers or one of their organizers of the event had dyslexia. So it's so many coincidences happened along the line um, of applying for the event, um, and it was and it was and it was sort of a coincidence that it all happened in the end. But I I was delighted in order, and, and I couldn't get over it. There was a sense of almost an imposter syndrome as well. Like I'm not an expert in this topic. I, it shouldn't be me. Like they're gonna find out that I'm a fraud. Like I'm not really this guy that should be doing this TEDx talk. So that was a big thing that I had to overcome as well. Mm. Well, there, there's a couple of key takeaways for me in that story. You know, number one is that that perseverance once again prevails. It's so important that you continue the process. I think it's very easy for us to stop, but you kept you kept going. And uh, the harder you tried, in fact, the luckier you got. So I think that that that's uh, that's very, very great to hear. Uh, the second thing is that the original topic that you presented didn't necessarily resonate at that time. But this new topic, that's something that's so vulnerable and so relatable by so many people, all of a sudden was something that eventually someone said, hey, listen, I completely connect to you. And if I connect to you, then there's gonna be other people that connect to you at the same time. So how important it is, is it that, that you were brave, I think, to actually put that out there? Because a lot of people might not be brave enough to say, hey, you know what, I, I am dealing with this or I dealt with that. Uh, where in, in fact you turned all of that into a massive asset, a massive opportunity, and now you, you've done it. So kudos to you, congratulations! I cannot wait to hear it. Thanks, man, Ruben, and and it's it, it's funny you should sort of say that because it it was kind of daunting at the start because I never like to play the the dyslexia card. Oh, I'm dyslexic. I can't do this. Or I'm dyslexic. I can't spell that. Or I'm dyslexic. I can't do well in exams. And I really, and it was for me, I even applying for jobs or even talking to people, I never like to tell anyone that I'm dyslexic uh, because you don't know how it's going to be perceived. You know, doing the research of the talk, I realized only 3% of people believe that dyslexia is a positive trait and seven and 73% of people hide the dyslexia from employers. 
So there is quite a lot of shame and embarrassment and anger from kids when they grow up because they may have gone through some uh, tough experiences in the education system. So it's tough to talk about it. Um, but I felt it's something when I kept digging, digging into the research, I felt like it was something that needed to be talked about. And irregardless of the outcome or whether someone would talk poorly about it, it, it's something that I needed to share because when I shared it with someone else with dyslexia and I started sharing it to one or two people before I applied, it, it, the amount of people that came forward and told me they had dyslexia as well that I would never have known. I would never have known. Mm. But they told me because I just happened to voice what I was thinking about talking about. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was a level of, I, I didn't really think to myself that I was brave doing it. I more felt the thought that like, I'm an imposter. I shouldn't be speaking about dyslexia. I'm not an expert on it. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a neuroscientist. These are things that I shouldn't be talking about. I, should I talk about this? And it was overcoming the fear, I think, and the imposter syndrome. And that was the trickiest part for me. Mm. Well, I think the, the key takeaway for, for me on that one is that your perspective and your experience is so much more valuable than what a scientist might bring to the table about this. Someone that's looking at this from an academic perspective, because what you've gone through is really where I'm going to learn something and I'm going to feel the, the empathy to either connect to something within myself or someone with someone around me. So I think your experience and your perspective is, is how I think ultimately you, you, you got over this idea of an imposter syndrome and you got over the idea of being fearful about it because now knowing that people are just genuinely interested in hearing about your experience is actually liberating. So it's, 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 it's great to hear that. Yeah. Thanks a million, Ruben. I really appreciate those, those kind words. And it's, and I'm really excited for people to hear it because I think it's a not just for my own sort of self indulgence or whatnot, but it's more for um for uh, I'm I'm excited for people to discover that dyslexia has a lot of upsides and that maybe a lot of people have certain things that they may think are disadvantages and there's actually a tremendous amount of advantages because I'm a big proponent uh, saying that I use quite a lot to myself that things don't happen uh, to you they happen for you and I'm mm. a big proponent of that um. And I, I, I tend to uh, live that as much as I can. And I don't like saying it because there is a bit of a cliche, but I'm a massive proponent in it that uh, it's almost like you're not buried when there, you, you have a disadvantage or some adversity. It's almost like you've been planted and that's another cliche, but there's something that, that rings true there. And um, I'm excited for people to hear about this talk and maybe a sense of curiosity to figure out, oh, I have a brother or I have a cousin or I have a child or I have a... Uh, colleague that could be dyslexic or ha or has dyslexia, maybe I should share this with them. Or, or oh, I didn't know about that. I oh, I didn't know these people. These famous, successful people were dyslexic. I didn't know that twenty percent of all um, UK entrepreneurs and thirty five percent of all US entrepreneurs were dyslexic. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Steven Spielberg, Whoopi Goldberg, Orlando Bloom, um, all these people had dyslexia. So it, it's something that I'm really excited about. And the more I dig into it now, the more passion I get about it. Yeah, well, that's 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 remarkable. Um, there's there's one thing I want to get out of the way, which people are going to be extremely interested in learning about from you. And then after after we discover that, I want to I want to kind of jump into this idea of turning disabilities, turning uh, I you know weaknesses with air quotes into into superpowers. 
Um, what is the process to become a TEDx speaker? Could you just kind of map out the process? Obviously, it's de- different in every situation. And, you know, now since the events are may- maybe more virtual in nature, obviously it's going to be different. But could you sort of map out and just sort of guide us for someone that's been through the process? How do we start? Where's the research? How do we pitch? How do we get the introductions? So on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely, Ruben. So I think for more context, I think it's important to note that the organization is called uh, TED itself. And TED is the official um, company or organization. I think it stands for Technology Education Design. That may have changed, but I think that's what it's originally for. Uh, and they have their main events, which they invite top speakers, like you see the, maybe the Bill Gates talk, the Tim Ferrisses of the world, top scientists, top authors. Um, and then there's so TED have um, a set of independent events called TEDx Talk. So, for example, Ruben, me and you could set up a TEDx Talk and um, calling it TEDx Back Garden or TEDx Los Angeles or TEDx Dublin, which is already taken. But we could set up our own license event. I don't know what that process is like. But essentially, from my own perspective and from my experience, I think there's a few ways you could become a TEDx speaker. I think you can either get invited to talk. You can either get referred to talk. Or I think you can apply to talk. So that's they're the three ways that I know. I just I had this epiphany moment when when the organizers and the the, the key members behind TED realized how powerful the movement was that they were creating, and some guy raised his hand. He said, "Licensing." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's it, it's, I, and I think I think I think there is to that point, but I think there is a level of credibility with the yes, TED organization, absolutely. and even. The, and even with all the TEDx events, the amount of preparation that all the speakers had to be done, the amount of rigorous fact checking, the amount of rigorous yes. um, preparation—it's—it's—it's it's, it's very credible. And if they think if they deem certain something's off, they won't even upload any of the videos. So it's an extremely—I uh, know I, I can say now, me being a TEDx speaker, me saying this doesn't really make any sense, but I think it's a really brilliant process. Or even preparing for any sort of keynote, but if it's something that you have in your goals list, or if it's something you have down the line, I highly recommend to give it a give it a try or give it a crack. Um, if you if you can, or if you have a topic that you think's worth sharing or an idea worth sharing, as they like to call it. Yeah, I, I I have learned so much from TED Talks and TEDx Talks. I my my watch rates on those videos on YouTube are probably the highest because I I'm engaged. I stick around. You know, some of the things that I'm kind of curious about is number one is how much time goes into the preparation of the presentation. Do you have to submit a recording of the entire preparation uh, of the entire presentation, or is do you have to uh, submit the outline? What is that process like? Yeah, absolutely. So I think every organization or every independent event uh, is different based on their location, based on how long I did mine during a global pandemic. So it was kind of different. It was a live stream. It was slightly different. But some people have TEDx coaches that they'd hire to help them prepare. Um, I didn't have that. Um, for me personally, some people do it in a six-month window, but I took about two months to prepare. Um, well, I, I already had the title of my talk and the idea, but I was finishing up a thesis. So I really had two, two and a half months, two months to really give it my all. And so what happened was we had to first submit a first draft. And the first draft was an outline of your TEDx talk. And it could be a, an outline with the script was probably the best way to say it. It was almost like a, a movie script, just like what you're exactly what you're going to say, but a rough outline. So I had the introduction the context, point one, point two, point three, the implications and the conclusion. So that was kind of the structure of how I went about my first, my first submission, first draft. 
And the second draft was about a week later or a week and a half later, maybe two weeks. And during that draft, you had to have uh, maybe a full script with timestamps. So every TEDx talk has to be less than around 18 minutes, I think. So they have uh, timestamps on when you're going to say things. And if you can include some slides or what you're thinking about imagery, putting in there any props. And then you get feedback after every draft. You can make it better. So the speakers and the organizing committee would give you feedback. Then the third draft, as far as I'm aware of, as far as I believe, was a video. So after I did the draft of the script, it was then a video, a recorded video of me performing my TED Talk. Now, I didn't have to know it off by heart. I could read it by a script, um, but I had to record myself doing the TED Talk um, without slides. And I submitted that, then got feedback. So that was three drafts. And then the fourth draft was a rehearsal. And the rehearsal was me with my slides or with a version of my slides uh, giving the talk online because we couldn't do it in person. And uh, was that, that broadcasted or was that recorded or just in a private environment? That was in a private environment. It was on a Zoom call with myself and the or and the TED, uh, some of the TED speakers and some of the TED uh, organizers because it was based in London and I couldn't travel due to the pandemic uh, at that current time. So um, it was all based on Zoom while others were doing their rehearsals in person in London. Got it. But for the actual event, then about a week after I traveled over and then came back and quarantined for two weeks or whatnot. So. And then was there was there a live audience of some sort or was that just a closed environment? So how it worked is there was um, it, it was quite it was quite different to a typical TEDx event. So how it worked was there was about 20 people in the room and um, socially distanced. That was including the the speakers that was including the organizers, including the video um the video and the editors and the producers of the of the event um and how it happened was it was all socially distant and you had to wear a mask all the time even when you were in the room or even the green room or even backstage but when you're speaking you could take it off and they had three speakers go at a time so it was all live streamed and it was about 30 minute slots so I had to do a talk for 18 minutes, then it was 10 minutes Q&A, and then the next speaker would come up for 20 minutes talk, 10 minutes Q&A, and the third speaker would go up for an 18 or 20 minute talk, then 10 minutes Q&A, then there would be a break for 15 minutes. But uh, I was terrified and nervous, and I even forgot some of my lines before the talk, so I had to uh, drink a ton of coffee to get myself through an open line to remember them, but uh, that's sort of how and that it was, worked. And that, was, and that was Irish coffee, right? That was, <laughs> strictly, strictly Irish coffee, strictly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Well, that, that was really informative, man. I really appreciate that. You know, uh, I think one of my takeaways here is that I think what we will all, people in business, we will, we will probably all have a tendency to talk about what our company does, what we sell, you know, what our product or service is, like, and how we solve that problem. So if I were to go, you know, pitch myself to a TEDx organizer and say, hey, listen, I got this topic. I want to do it on, I don't know, video marketing. And the reason why I'm qualified to do that is because, well, I run a company called Dub.com and it's an actionable video platform. And then I might get a letter a week later saying, you have been rejected for your <laughs> submission because, and maybe this is not written, but because it's too salesy and because we don't want to just give you a forum to go give a masterclass so that you can ulti ultimately generate revenue for your business. That's not why we're here. And, uh, you know, on the other hand, if I might go deep, just like what you did and get brave and vulnerable at the same time and go to childhood trauma, go to trials and tribulations, go to obstacles, go to the 
darkest places in my life, the, the, the most challenging things and say how I overcame those as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a friend, as a son, you know, then all of a sudden I might be able to actually resonate with people. But the process to, to peel that onion back is, is something that a lot of people are, are not used to, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm complete, it's completely natural or, or comfortable for me. But you obviously had some ability to just go deep within. And I'd like to understand what made you do that? How did you do that? How people are not comfortable talking about mental health. People are not comfortable talk, talking about learning disabilities. People are not comfortable talking about terrible things that they've gone through in their lives, whether it's sleeping in a car or being divorced or being rejected or kicked out or not doing well in school. How did you feel so comfortable doing that, sharing that, and, and being that? I think I think it was through a process of reflection and self-examination. And I think most importantly, I think it was through overcoming the insecurity that I don't feel like I'm stupid anymore and I don't feel embarrassed about it. I think I've gotten to a stage where I've overcome that and I now see it as an advantage, but I had to, but I had to go through the 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 tough times and maybe the supplementary English classes or I had to go through the the poor exam results and thinking I'm stupid in order to get there but I think what really helped for me personally and now it's different for everyone it's completely different for everyone but I think about three or four years ago three four years ago now I did a study abroad in the USA and and this will come back around I promise uh, I did a study abroad in the USA and um, during that period of time I never read a book. I never read a book and I decided to be an irresponsible young adult and I decided to pick up a book. I read a page, read five pages uh, and then kept, made, made a promise myself to read a page to five pages a day. And it was through that process of take, cause I was a really slow reader because of let's say my dyslexia, I was a really slow reader and it was really tough for me to comprehend things. So through that process and through reading certain books, I began to realize that I began to read, uh, uh, well, I suppose one of the main things that I began to realize is that I'm, I'm not fixed. Like I can actually get better. Like I can, I can learn from the past. I can improve and become smarter because I used to just think I was stupid, but through a process of reading and self-examination and reflection um, and, and reading, I was able to understand that, for example, take the book, Carl Dweck talks about obviously the growth mindset. I was like, I was able to understand that I can improve. I can get better. I can actually change my brain. I can change things. I, I, about myself, I can change, let's say the way um, my fitness is through the gym, but I can also change um, my brain. And that was something that was really important to me and uh, something that resonated with me a lot because having dyslexia and realizing that I can actually change and I can actually improve was was just a phenomenal thought to me. And it's something that I really clung to uh, and I, I cling to for the last three years. And, and it's really stuck me that I was I, I was able to get smarter. I was able to improve. And then I got to a stage where I wasn't insecure anymore about having dyslexia because I was performing in school. I was doing well um, and I wasn't secure, insecure about uh, being dyslexic or feeling stupid anymore. Mm. When I play darts, when I used to play darts, I would miss a lot when I was younger. I would throw the dart and it would come nowhere nowhere not forget the bullseye i mean just the board it would be off to the side there'd be like holes in the drywall and i remember trying that as a kid once and i was like oh i'm not really good at darts i'm out 
And I never, I never got into, I never continued it, right? I never moved on, right? And you know, years went by, and I tried it again. Same thing happened. I wasn't good at it. Moved on, you know. And then all of a sudden, I said, "Wait a minute, <laughs> is it is it the, the 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 fact that I am naturally not good at playing darts, or is it because I don't play darts and I've never actually tried to play darts?" My question for you is: Is dyslexia a product, in part, not saying entirely, but in part, of not reading enough, not practicing enough? Yeah, so so from what from what I'm understanding and what I've researched, and I could be wrong here, so just be just just be a big caution about that that I'm not an expert on this, but I think it's an actual it, it's it's a cognitive issue, um, and from my own perspective and from listening to other things, you can improve and you can change. Uh, your brain can change, like you can you, you can actually. Um, improve certain things you can get better at reading and i don't think it's from not reading enough i think there's multiple causes of it um but i think reading is one way you can definitely improve and overcome the symptoms or some of the things that causes dyslexia uh, yeah or, or and i and i i want to i want to clarify that, that that that's what i'm referring to i'm not i'm not saying that if you don't read enough, then you will get dyslexia or you will have it or you will never be able to overcome it. But what I am asking about is, is practicing, is reading, can it dramatically improve the dyslexia? Can you get from a 20% level to an 80% level with more reading and more practice? And the reason why I'm asking this is because what we do often is that if we fail at something and if it's too challenging, we just don't do it. We stop as a survival mechanism and we try something else. So I just that that's kind of where I'm coming from, just to clarify. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, but I just wanted to ensure that um the people know that it's you can actually you, you can definitely improve from where you're at. And just like to your points about the darts, Ruben, you can definitely I think you can definitely improve and you can get better. And I think it's always going back to that growth mindset that you actually can improve and can get better is something that's empowering um and something that can be taken in all different walks of life. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like how you said that. I like how you said that. I think it's important. I think there's a lot of key takeaways here. You know, I think that, uh, you know, this is inspiring. I mean, I, I continue to hear about people that finally come out of the closet that, that, that want to say, hey, look, this is something that I've been through in my life. And actually, it's a part of me. And the most magnificent part about that is when you can make it a superpower. So that's kind of a, a new new paradigm I'd like to get into with you is how do you take things in your life that might be construed as weaknesses by others and turn those into a superpower? Um, I think it goes back to, okay, for, for, well, well, I can speak about dyslexia. I can't speak about all, all the other topics, but I can only speak from my perspective. And it goes back from my perspective, it goes back to that point of, I think, self-examination and understanding that, reflecting and taking time and understanding that in hindsight, I can connect the dots and go back. It actually all makes sense. Like it makes sense that I grew up with dyslexia because if I didn't grow up with dyslexia, I wouldn't be good at certain things now. I wouldn't I wouldn't be better at some certain creative tasks. I wouldn't be better at oral communication. I wouldn't be better at certain things. So having that perspective, I think it's all about, for me personally, it was about perspective that it, it going back to the point we already spoke, spoke about it, that it doesn't happen to me. It almost happened for me. And mm -hmm. um, I know it sounds cliche, but I'm a massive proponent about that. It doesn't happen to me. It happens for me. Talk to me about that. 
Yeah, so I, for, I forgot where I heard it, um, but it's something that stuck with me um, for quite a while because uh, like, there's been ups and downs, obviously, with multiple different journeys and multiple different um, paths I've taken. But um, when I look back in hindsight, I realize that they're all connected and I realize the downs. For example, with the TEDx talk, this is a clear example. I've come to realize that usually I have a big down before I have a big up and the bigger the ups, usually the bigger the downs. And, uh, and, and those two rejections sort of happened, didn't happen to me. They happened for me because it was that persistence of if I didn't change that first topic and if I would have got the first topic, it wouldn't have been as vulnerable. It wouldn't have connected that well with me. It would have just been a, uh, it just, it's, it, it, I don't feel right talking about this. But it happened for me because it allowed me to clarify, I actually want to speak about this and I actually want to talk about this topic. And do I want this? Do I actually want to speak about this? Do I actually want to overcome the imposter syndrome? Do I actually want to overcome the fear? And it was all worth it when I finished, but I only would have known that in hindsight and self-reflection. But that's why I'm a big proponent of that of that line that happens uh, not to me, but it happens for me. Well, what I love about that line is that it, it makes sense of those low points in life. Because without those low points in life, there's really no place to come up from and there's no catalyst and maybe potentially even an inspiration to want to evolve or improve or to get over a situation. Uh, so when you look at life from that perspective, everything is a gift, in fact, you know, and everything, if you come from a place of gratitude, knowing that if you're future thinking and if you can see yourself with faith and hope and confidence in the future, that ultimately you'll understand why the things happen, not to us, but for us. Yeah, absolutely, Ruben. I think I think Ray Dalio has a lovely point in his book where he has this actual illustration. I think it's, I could absolutely butcher this here, but I think it's stress plus reflection equals growth or something along the line. There's, he's an equation he uses that's really nice and really um, perfectly describes probably what we're talking about. And I could be butchering it there, um, but it's almost like, if you can learn from those quote unquote fail, failures or learn from, if I, I learned from those failures and I learned from those stressful situations and then took the feedback from that and then I was able to, to learn from it and then grow from it on the other side. Nice. There it is, man. Well, where can, where can folks learn about you, Ryan? Uh, where can they connect with you on social channels? Anything that you'd like to share? Um, yes, yeah, so I suppose on, on on all social channel on channels, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, it's at Ryan W Conlon, um, C O N L A N. There's a lot of C O N L O Ns in in Ireland, so C O L C O C O N L A N. There's my dyslexia coming out, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so all the social channels, and hopefully that TEDx talk will come live in the coming weeks and months. And uh, if anyone is has dyslexia. Or is any or if anyone know anyone dyslexia? There's some really great uh, resources out there. There's a great um, nonprofit. I think they're. I'm not sure if they're a charity or a nonprofit called Made by Dyslexia. Uh, and there's an incredible book called The Dyslexia Advantage. Uh, I can't remember the authors, but they're two doctors. Uh, and they that was a big big foundation of research for my whole talk. Uh, so it's The Dyslexia Advantage, and it's it's an incredible read. Uh, and they speak about how dyslexics have four main cognitive advantages over non-dyslexics um, and how they can thrive in the workforce, how they can get better and how they can how, how they can turn it into an advantage. So it's incredible, incredible book. 
Amazing, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for your time. Tons of gratitude. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for sharing your content. Thank you for sharing your story. Can't wait to get the TED Talk. If you could, once it's live, come back to these social posts and just share us the link. Thanks again. Thank you, Ruben. Thanks for having me. For having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Bye-bye now.